Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream on a hot and sunny Tuesday in which we continue the Rabi' al-Awwal readings and recitations from uh, the Shema'il of At-Tirmidhi. And we are calling all listeners. Uh, at today is the 19th of September. So if you're listening to this within the month of September, we need to hit at least, we should top off 5K of our Umrah for Youth. Some people wonder, well, why are you collecting money for Umrah for Youth? There are M- Muslim families here that are, they would never be able to send or cover most of the costs of a Umrah trip for their kids. They can't afford to put their kids in an Islamic school. Their kids go to public school, have all these influences, and it would make a huge difference for them if their high school child would be able to go on Umrah. And our job, the goal of Umrah for Youth, is to make this affordable. If not free, then at least affordable. All right. So last time we sent three kids to Umrah at no charge, like we gave them the whole ride. This time we're trying to do something different. We want to give 25 kids a slash on their Umrah. So if you give $1,000, you're slashing that off from one of the kids on Umrah. Hey, Umrah, can you put in launchgood.com slash Umrah number four youth? And we're right now at 4923 bucks. So we only got like, uh, what's the math here? Aren't you a math major? Aren't you science or, or uh, a tech guy? Or a math guy, I mean, sorry. So... 23, uh, 100 minus 23 gets you 76, 70, 77, sorry. $77 short of slashing 1000 bucks from five Shabab to go to Umrah. All right, we want to try to get 12 and 13 in terms of boys and girls, an e- almost even number. Okay, 12, 12 and, we'll get 12 and a half guys and 12 and a half girls. How's that? Uh, so uh, for every 1000 we can... Put it in there. So that's the idea. Um, no. What's that? Launch good? Omra for youth. No, no H in Omra for youth. There you go. Click that button. So that's the kit. Do we, we are hand selecting. The, the youth who need the voucher, essentially, right? We're, it's not uh, the, the, the kids who are going to, who can afford it, who are getting, getting it. Because this area has a vast array of people, right? And it's also not just this area. The youth can come from any area, connected. You know, wh- we don't really advertise it. We just get the word out through places like this, Right. Uh, the live stream, ArcView. By the way, ArcView, it is doing amazing this semester. Amazing, this term. Arabic, 43 students we had. Okay, we had in our program. Great for the first time. Okay. All right, so now let's talk. Poor old New England Patriots and our Bill Belichick cannot get a break. They fell short again by an inch. If they had made that lateral, I don't know if you saw that lateral. That lateral at the end of the game. Oh, my gosh. So they're like, this is the final drive to, t- to, to really take the lead if they score a touchdown. And I think a field goal would have tied it. They just, 
No, field goal wouldn't have tied. They need a touchdown. A lateral pass to a lineman, right? And he was inches short. And this guy, I tell you, I from the first season, from his rookie season, this Mac Jones, he does just does not have the clutchness. He will always fall an inch short, a foot short. He lacks the clutchness, and that's what is frustrating to, to, to see this type of thing. Uh, he just lacks the clutchness. So that's our, our, our little sports report. Today we got Shema'ed. Today we got Sound of Sira, and we got Q&A. What is Sound of Sira? Amazing, excellent program put forth for children by a brother named Ibrahim Selman. Okay, of New Jersey. And you're going to see it. It's basically essentially for kids to to listen to the sira, and it's almost like enacted, basically. Of course, the they're not going to have a voice for the Prophet's life on them, but that would be a narrator. But the other voices that, that sh- shouldn't be a problem to have, we'll have that. And we're going to interview Ibrahim Salman and ask him for his methodology. Okay. <clears throat> All right, good to see Norfolk One here. G Spice, Sophia, Rabia, Chocolate Walla, and uh, Walt Clyde Frazier is also here. All right, so let us now go in there, and we will be, inshallah ta'ala, at least topping 5,000 on this stream today so that we can slash money from, our, from the kids who uh, need this slashing of their Umrah trip, Okay. Let's now turn to the Shema'id until our guest shows up. Okay. We continue. On the description of Sayyid al-Kawnayn, that he had well proportion, a well-proportioned physique. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings to, to appreciate certain proportions. There is nothing rational about it. There's nothing functional about it. It's simply that human beings are created to love certain proportions. Okay, If you see a certain person with really long legs and a short torso, right, it doesn't look right to you. Such a person, you know what they have to do to adjust themselves? They got to wear their shirt outside the pants. Other people, they have really big torsos and shorter legs. Okay. Um, and then other people yet, they, the head shape may be differently proportioned, okay? And, and all this may lead to different injuries, okay? And it may lead to different needs, uh, physical needs, okay? But the Prophet ﷺ was described as having perfect proportions, okay? And his chest was wide and strong while his stomach was always flat. He never had a what they call a paunch or a, uh, a, a belly sticking out. Okay. He had stout and strong skin and his, his uh, skin, uh, uh, sorry, limbs, and his skin was never dry. You see someone with very dry skin? No, the prophet's skin was always uh, shiny. He always used oils on his skins and that made his skin moist. His hands, however, were never rough. His hands were um, were always soft, despite always working with his hands. Where did he have hair on his body? He had hair on his arms, okay? On his arms 
some small spat- splattering on his shoulders. Okay. And he had um, hair, a little bit of splattering hair on the upper part of his chest, but then he had a line of hair from his navel to his belly button. All right. The palms uh, and soles of his feet were not thin. They were fleshy. Okay. Some people would have very skinny hands like wizards, right? You know, those scary hands like that, very thin hands. He did not have that. He had actually skin and some flesh on those hands so that when, when they, someone held his hand, it had a feeling of softness to it. Okay. The hollows of his feet were um, deep set, which means that um, some people are flat-footed. Those are people who are exempt from the army. And also it may come with some health difficulties. Yet the Prophet ﷺ had very high arches. And that's always better for, for mobility, to have high arches on his feet. Okay. Okay. The extremities were well formed and the hollows of his soles were deep set. And even his feet and his heels, the Sahaba described the heels of the Prophet ﷺ. From the, t- from the nature of how it was created and also that the Prophet would oil his body all the time, his heels were thin. And how did they know, or, or, or sorry, were, were smooth. When you see someone make wudu, and when you pray with people, you sometimes see cracks of dry skin, right, in the feet. And a lot of people in the old world who have to walk barefoot a lot, the backs of their feet are extremely cracked, okay? And so you could see that. And what happens is that the water doesn't even get in there. They have to rub the water in there. And yet others, you see that the heels are very smooth. So the water just drips off of them. And that is how the Prophet's heels were, of course, you would see the heels of the people of your imam. If you have an imam, you're, and he always prays barefoot, you're going to see them naturally. Okay. We have one more line, and then we're going to get to our guest, Ibrahim Salmat, uh, who was doing something what I believe is a heroic effort in bringing the sirah in audio format, very creative audio format to the youth. And we're going to talk to him about his philosophy, his motivation, the methodology by which he does it. And then we're going to listen to a clip. It's a very important clip. Okay. Again, he said that the prophet's gait was brisk. The prophet never meandered. You know, meandering is just walking slowly, just wasting time. That has an, 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 a little bit either of arrogance or laziness. It's not a good quality to have for anybody to, uh, to, 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 to be walking in that manner. He always walked downward as opposed to haughtily with his nose in the air. When the Prophet walked, he never looked around. He looked straight. He never was just always looking, oh, look at that house, look at that neck. Uh, I mean, look at that car, look at that. And then your neck starts to hurt. Sometimes you, walk, you take a walk with some people, oh, look at that house. Oh, look at that house. Oh, look at this car. Uh, no, that's, that's not the way the Prophet said him in terms of he would mind his business. It, it's not his business to go look at people's homes. What happens if you accidentally look in the window? And see something you're not supposed to see? What happens if accidentally the window is open? The shades or blinds are open. And you see something you're not supposed to see? Okay. 
But when he was in the creation, he would look like mountains, the sky, because that's the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he was with the private property of humans or stores and stuff, he would not be staring around at everything. Rather, he would just walk straight to what his business was. But when he was amongst the creation of Allah, the mountains and the sky and the rivers, he would look and he loved to hear the uh, sound of flowing water. He looked to the sky much, okay? But when he was walking in markets around homes, he always looked at the ground. And he was urged his Sahaba to proceed ahead of him. Okay. However, whenever there was somebody that is worth greeting, he was the first to greet them. He'd not wait till the other person greet. Do you ever walk somewhere and you see somebody, but you don't know, should I salam him first or not? If I salam him first, maybe I come off as some kind of a loser. Do you ever feel that? Not the Prophet. Always give salam to the people first. All right, our guest is here. Let's transition. And welcome to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream. Ibrahim Salman of New Jersey, founder of Sound of Sira, which I am looking at right now on YouTube. I mean, you're, I want you guys to stay here to listen to his uh, interview, but I want to be able to see the Sound of Sira on YouTube so I can take a peek. It's It's a channel now. You got almost a thousand subscribers and you now have the first season out which consists of 11 chapters each chapter with quite beautiful graphics let's welcome over ibrahim salman to our program bismillah how are you ibrahim how are you alhamdulillah how are you doing dr shadi very good very good very good I remember receiving a text message on this phone right here about your YouTube um, uh, series. Each session here is about between 11 and 30 minutes long. And I'm like, I really want to help the brother, but this thing is so hard to get uh, YouTube on it. It is a dumb, it has a, a baby internet, you can call it. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we did look at some of the texts at one point, right? Uh, and it was really good. Now, tell us exactly what is the motivation behind, or firstly, what is the sound of Sira? Before Beautiful we play start. a clip for everyone. Yeah, so Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu salam ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ala alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. The best way I would describe myself when people ask me, like, who are you to have started this project? I'm a Sira enthusiast. Allahu Akbar. Um, so that's, you know, some people are crazy for Star Wars. Some people are crazy mm-hmm. for Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Sira. I think it's the greatest story ever told. I think from the time the Rasulullah was born to the day he died was the greatest moments in human history. Um, and subhanAllah, the motivation behind the sound of Sira was really um, the feeling I got that the average Muslim is perhaps more emotionally connected to the Avengers than they are to the Ten Commandments. Terrible, terrible. Um, and it's, it's very sad to say that there is a, a love for the Prophet ﷺ, but it's very surface level. And most of that may stem from a lack of knowledge of the seerah. Um, and alhamdulillah, we're living in the golden age of lectures. Everything is available. Um, but lectures just don't do it for the lay person. Um, I mean, when you have the, the youth, especially even young people, you're competing with Hollywood special effects, graphics, 
actors. I mean, you know, what, what's a lecture to, to that? Um, so really when I took a step back and said, how do we make this accessible to the average person? Um, really the, 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 the weapon of the modern world is media. But there's a big problem, and this is the problem that all Muslims come to when it comes to portraying the life of the Prophet If there are X, Y, Z things that you just cannot portray, you're left with very little. And when you take a bird's eye view of the seerah and say, okay, what is absolutely off the table? Well, obviously you cannot portray the blessed image of the Prophet um, You can't show any of the mothers of the believers. Uh, you cannot show any of the angels. Um, you cannot perhaps portray the Isra and Mi'raj. So what you're left with, and if you notice, if you look at some of the popular Sira movies and series, is really shows and movies about the enemies of the Prophet much more than the Prophet himself. SubhanAllah. Um, which, you know, uh, you know, one of my favorite Sira movies is the message back, you know, from the 70s. And really, when you watch it, the main character is Abu Sufyan, anhu, which is, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's, it takes away from what the Sira actually is. Um, so I took a step back and I said, how can we do a portrayal that is accurate to the tradition of the Muslims? And the seerah has always been an oral tradition from the get-go. You know, it's been written in books and stuff, but at its core, Islam is always something you hear. So we took that and we said, let's just update it for a 2023 audience. And that's where you get the sound of seerah. It's an audio drama of the Prophet and his companions. Uh, we employ voice actors, sound effects, nasheed artists, ambience, everything Hollywood has, we have, minus the visuals. And it forces you to imagine yourself there, but really there's uh, little left to the imagination and it doesn't take away or contradict from the tradition of Islam, of being an oral tradition, of listening and hearing the storytelling of the seerah. Uh, of our blessed Prophet ﷺ. So do you use narrators for the Prophet wasallam, Abu Bakr, Omar, yes. how do you use How does that work? So, oh, how did so you make the most a... common question that we get is, you know, how do you portray the Prophet ﷺ? So just like a regular, you know, sheikh would say that the Prophet walked in and said this, you know, I actually, I'm the narrator in the series. So I narrate uh, what the Prophet ﷺ does. So if you, if I say the Prophet ﷺ walked in, you will hear footsteps but no voice is given to him. I narrate that. Um, everyone besides him, you know, we have voices uh, for the companions based on what we know from their, um, from their personalities and their physical stature. Uh, we have uh, sound effects and ambience so that, you know, whatever, if you're in a desert, you're going to, it's going to sound like you're in a desert. If you're mm -hmm. inside a home, it's going to sound like you're in a home. And really when you have two people conversing with each other, um, it's much easier to have that emotional connection with the person because now it's not just a name in the abyss. It's a physical person with a personality, with a demeanor. The way Umar anhu speaks is not the same way that Abu Bakr anhu speaks. Um, yeah. the, the, the vocabulary of Abu Jahl, for example, is going to be very crude and rude as compared to someone like uh, Sayyidina Ali. Um, and yeah. these are all things that we try to portray in the sound of Sira. Very good, very good. So uh, you are the main narrator. Yes. Of the Sira. Okay, good. And tell me, uh, you have 11 chapters here. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot that goes into it. There are visuals. I mean, there are the, the what you call it, the ambience, the sound effects, the munshids, and then the uh, audio actors, the voice actors. Yeah. Are the voice actors like you, you brought in voice actors or did you get your friends 
to do it? How so did that it's work? It's a combination of both. So this actually started as my COVID project. So mm. I'm locked into a room for a couple of hours. The human mind comes up with uh, ingenious ideas sometimes. Um, so it started off with a team of one. So chapter one was created just with yours truly. No one else by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and slowly, as I began to share it around, more and more people began to join. So we do have some amateur volunteer actors. And mashallah, I call them amateur only mm -hmm. because it's not their day job. But mashallah, they put their heart and soul into portraying. But we do hire now, alhamdulillah, professional actors. Um, we spend a lot of money um, making our own nasheeds. So some of these things are impressive. You know, uh, the artwork that you see for the episodes. Um, we have our own artists that do that as well. So Alhamdulillah, the team is growing and Alhamdulillah, we are officially produced uh, by Islam by Touch. So by Brother Nadir's group uh, who produces uh, Braille Qur'ans for blind Muslims. He's the official producer of this project because he finds that this is extremely helpful for blind Muslims um, mm. who have no other way of media anyways. Um, and now, alhamdulillah, it's, uh, the series is on YouTube, but we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, anything that makes noise, just type in the sound of Sira and you will find it. Beautiful. Okay, uh, are we ready to, to, to uh, hear a section of it? Yeah, um, absolutely. So this is a section from Chapter 10 of the Sound of Sira, Elephant in the Room. Um, go ahead. All right, bismillah. Go ahead. Stop! Hey, you! Don't get any closer! I said stop! Put that thing down. I wish to speak to your master. Let him in. Abdul Muttalib entered Abraha's tent. When he saw her father, he was impressed. Her father was fearless, strong, eloquent. He felt humble. He even got off of his own throne. Please, have a seat next to me. No need for a translator. I speak Arabic. Thank you. Please ignore him. He was the last Arab that opposed me. You're the one they call Abdul Muttalib. I am. I've heard many things about you, sir. You're a man of honor and lineage. Tell me, why are you here? Have you come to negotiate? No, I have not. Then what can I do for you? I have come for what is rightfully mine. And what is that? Your soldiers stole some of my camels on their way to wherever you are going. I want them back. What's yours is yours. I apologize for this transgression. I've come to serve Jesus Christ. Nothing else. You'll get your camels back. Thank you. Is that all? Yes, that is all. I will be going now. <laughs> I must admit, I'm disappointed in you, Abdul Muttalib. When I first saw you, I had so much respect for you. You seemed honorable and brave. Most men cower before me, yet you came right into my tent. I've come to destroy your most sacred temple, the most holy thing in your religion. And all you care about is your camels. Hmm, well, I am the master of the camels and they are my responsibility. As for the holy sanctuary, Allah is the master of that. 
And he will defend it if he so chooses. All right, so there was a clip. Very nice. Uh, uh, it seems really involved, and it looks like the... Um, even the image, though, is very nice, although you don't use visuals, but the picture that you chose and, and put, put up together there, um, was, it's appealing. It's very appealing for kids, I think, and even for non-kids. Yeah. Anyone wants to listen to things, and, and I always encourage to, when people say, which sirah should I read or which sirah should I listen to, the answer is everyone you can get your hands on because each one oh. will have something different that the other has or have a gap that the other doesn't have. Right, so they all together they fill each other up. You also will get to see what is agreed upon for all of them, and what may be something that was differed upon within them, because you'll you'll see all the differences. So everybody could get this again at Sound of Sira. You go to Sound of Sira. Uh, I see a lot of people already talking about it and 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 clicking on it. Um, the YouTube channel again is called simply Sound of Sira. You go to the YouTube channel. And you could start listening, and you're, and also, like, it's not just on YouTube; it's on Spotify, it's on yes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yeah, and Google uh, Play, Apple, everything. We're happy to announce that uh, season one is fully there, so you can, you know, binge listen to it. I guess, Alhamdulillah, um, in the month of Rabi'ah Awal, and we're also happy to announce that season two is coming, inshallah, this November. Uh, the first chapter of season two is coming very soon. Bigger cast, bigger budget, Alhamdulillah, bigger Beautiful. team. So. You know, the quality is only going to get better, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. Very nice. How long do you does it take you to make one episode? So the very first episode I did take took me a year. SubhanAllah. Uh, now it takes me, uh, depending on how big the script is and how many actors are involved, it can take anywhere between uh, a month to, you know, a month and a half. Okay. And uh, uh, do you drop the whole season or one at a time? We do one at a time. Season one didn't have a release schedule just because of the way it kind of came together. Um, but for season two, Alhamdulillah, we do have a release schedule that we haven't announced yet, but we do have a release schedule to have consistent episodes coming out. Um, and inshallah, season two is looking to be twice as long as season one in terms of episodes. So That's we hope to keep people engrossed. And one thing that I always have to apologize for, because I've had a lot of listeners tell me, why do you always end every episode on a cliffhanger? My response to that is, how else am I going to want you to listen to the next episode? That's how it has to be. Uh, that's how it has to be. So how many seasons do you think the whole Sierra would take? We're currently, inshallah, planning for about 10 total. 10 um, seasons, okay. 10 seasons, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows me to live to that time, inshallah, mm -hmm. or hopefully somebody will take the reins from me halfway through. Um, and, you know, the... With, with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hopefully the, the time it takes to create each season will get less and less and less without uh, diminishing from the quality. Because, by the way, if for those that have listened to this before know how much detail we go in, uh, The Sound of Ciro is not a lecture, but we it's a very deep character study into the companions, into the different people. Um, you know, typically when you learn a Ciro, it's really kind of, you know, Ghar-Hira, you know, Mecca, Medina, Badr, Uhud, Fatih, Mecca. And, you know, the major events without, you know, the intricacies of people's lives. I mean, someone like uh, Zubair ibn al-Awwam will be left in a footnote somewhere. We don't do that in the Sound of Sira. We really start off like, you know, who is this person? Where is yep. he at this point of life? How does he interact with, you know, other people? Um, whether they're Muslim or not, whether they're enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or companions. It's a very deep character dive 
um, into these people. And alhamdulillah, we have um, Mawlana Yasir Khan, who's our spiritual consultant on the team, who helps me with do some of the deep research that goes into these uh, blessed people and not so blessed people as well. Is, is there a select book that you find the most useful? Um, Sirat Ibn Hisham is phenomenal, in my opinion. I think it's, you know, obviously there's a reason why it's, you know, one of the first. Uh, but definitely there's a lot of different sources that I use. Revelation by Miraj Mahyuddin is also a great source as well. Um, Ibn Kathir's Al-Bidayah wa Nihayah. I mean, we, we take sources from everywhere. I mean, the, the Sirah is really a big jigsaw puzzle and you have to like put the pieces together to kind of create uh one you know yeah. cohesive story sometimes um and sometimes like you said if there's a gap here you find it somewhere else and if there's yep. one place that everyone agrees on you know you you try as much as you can to create something that you know an audience member who is used to watching you know the whole marvel cinematic universe and knows that everything is chronological and stuff you know we make it more malleable to them that's something that they can consume without you know having to jump between this book and that book and again the sound of sira is not a lecture as you saw from the sample there's yeah. no interruptions to discuss fiqh there's no um, commentary by other people the, the sound of sira is not de designed to replace those lectures this is more of a supplement to get people more connected on an emotional level and entertained by you know the the adventure that is the life of the prophet uh to be honest at, at the end of the day certain things about human beings will always be the same good storytelling okay there has nothing tops it Absolutely. whether that be you you could just have a black screen and someone tells the story really well with the right ingredients that's what it is. There are ingredients to stories. Like you're, you, when you mention that you zoom in to each person, like Zubair ibn Awam, well, what's his story? There, must, there are hardships in his life. There are difficulties yeah. in his life. That is a human life and is not just a character that has kills in the Battle of Badr and Uhud and Khandaq. He's not just a number a that has kills. Yeah. yeah, this is a human being. And there are so many, um, you know, I would say gray area intricacies like his marriage, then subsequent divorce to Asma bint Abi Bakr, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like that's this is one of the things to me is a proof of the truthfulness of the seerah. There are no aside the Prophet وسلم, is the only fl flawless person in the seerah. Every other Sahabi develops or they have some conflicts, right? Not in the matters of deen, but in matters of life. Yeah. All right. No, and uh, our our dear brother Omar Sadiq, who plays the role of Zaid bin Haritha. I mean, every time we walk into a recording session, I tell him what uh, he's talking about. He said, "Man, this character's life is up and down. There's yep. so many twists and turns." You know, I said, "Yeah, because these were real human beings." I mean, mm -hmm. if, if J.K. Rowling sat down to write these characters, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't be the same. But these were actual yep. historical figures that. You know, they had great times and they had um, fada'il that we like to mention. And there's yeah. also difficulties and trials and tribulations in their lives. Yeah, and, and, and our ulama, they wrote respectfully exactly what happened, including mistakes. For example, Usama bin Zaid, he has a terrible mistake that he made, right? Yeah. When he killed someone who said, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, and he said, I'm just trying to save your life. And um, then... He's sort of almost vindicated. At the end, the prophet reapproves of him when he assigns him to lead an army at the age of seventeen. 
or right. Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu, who was, you know, has no battles, he has no kills at all, the exact yep. opposite. And he, he had a hand in the, the slander of mm -hmm. our mother, Arias Radwan. And then, you know, right after that, you have the Rasul saying, you know, go and, you know, the Ruh al-Qudus is with you, you know, subhanAllah. So Amazing. Uh, amazing that I, I don't know of any other Sahabi, the Prophet them explicitly says, Ruh al-Quds, some say it's Jibreel, yeah. is helping him, right? And this is the Sahabi who had many ups and downs, yeah. right? And he was a Meccan hired to blaspheme the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and then ended up saying, which one of the most famous lines of poetry ever recited about the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he walks out of that meeting, and on his way home, he sees the Prophet, and he's, he, he's stunned by his, his physique, his image. He's an artist. Artists care about physiques and images mm -hmm. and, and looks. And he says this, lot, this couplet, like, never seen anyone like you. It's as if you're born. No woman has given birth to anyone like you. It's as if you're born. You created the way you wanted, right? Like you fashioned your face yeah. and your hair and your beard. And he becomes Muslim on the spot. So he has that amazing entry point. Then rough times, and then an amazing end result, yeah. right? So each Sahabi, you can almost go on, have their own episode, right? And Absolutely, and that's why some people, they, they ask me, they say, why, why, is, why do you plan the season to be this long? And I'm just like, because I, I can't gloss over this. These are, these are amazing stories. I mean, and, you know, and I encourage you, because uh, I encourage you to not think even twice about the end, because... I see some of these kids on anime, 400 episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Episodes. And if you tell them what happens in, you know, episode 327, it's like, oh, that was the fight between this guy and that guy. And he'll he'll detail it, you know, as if he studied the seed of uh, Goku or something. Mm -hmm. No, and I and, and one of them uh, told me that he he does a muraja of the anime <laughs> series. And he says that the authors are so clever that what you what you just thought was a detail in episode one ends up becoming an important part of episode like 315 Which and i'm just like very what? interesting because uh one of my script editors uh brother Baral Hajj, which you're, mm. you know him very well he he's he goes through my scripts and he says you know you leave these tiny little details in yep. your scripts that you know somebody who's more you know read into the sira knows that this is going to play out like 50 episodes from now subhanallah but the average person will read it and will not won't think anything of it. Yeah. You know, um, so, for example, we have in one of the early chapters, you know, we have Sayyidina Ali learning how to read and write, yep. which is going to be an extremely important, you know, all mm -hmm. the way later into the Prophet's yep. life. But it's just a little detail that we add at mm -hmm. the beginning to show, yeah, this person was literate, which was not um, which was uncommon at mecca at the time uh, someone back in the time in those times an arab that knows how to read and write is almost like a person today that knows how to code right <laughs> yeah it's a it's a very useful tool but not everyone has it right and you know your friends who know how to code right yeah, so yeah. right reading and writing was very similar to that uh, relative to today um i wanted to say that uh narration narrating uh is still an amazing kind of storytelling, right? So even in the cases where you don't portray someone's voice, narration itself, it can be amazing. And I want the, here's one of the proofs that I want to give. About 10 years ago, there was Adnan Siddiqui, 
I think his mm-hmm. name is Siddiqui. What's his last name? Adnan something. He was charged for, with murder. Adnan Sayed. So, Ibrahim, are you familiar with Adnan Sayed's case? I've heard of it, but I don't know the okay. details of it. Adnan Sayed was uh, accused of murder, and he, the evidence was sort of flimsy, but only pointed to him at, in some cases. His lawyer was terrible, right? She was. She really made a lot of mistakes. Poor kid ends up in jail at the age of 17 with a life sentence. And there was a a, a woman who made a podcast about him. Right. Through Serial, right? Yeah, Serial podcast. There was very little other than pure narration. Mm-hmm. But the story was amazing. That's what it was. The antagonist was, re- the pro- the antagonist was really bad. The... The result, the p- potential result of what happens to him in his life were, was really, really bad. And he became, I guess you could say, a likable kid the way she described him, right? Yeah. So all was was narration with audio. There was no, not even an image, just the name of the podcast, right? And so I think sometimes that uh, shows when they start getting into the sensual and a lot of visual, it's, it's almost, overload. it's what? It's sensory overload. It's overload, and I think it's a cop-out for lack of story. Oh, yeah, there's no substance sometimes. There's no substance. Like, it's I remember... a lot of flashy and... But no, that's there's it. There's no character development. There's no story. There's no lesson. There's nothing to take away. I yeah. mean, there's a reason why Aesop's fables are 20,000 years old and still told to kids these exactly. days. Exactly. Yeah. They're timeless stories. They have a lesson that you learn from. They're timeless, and and, and just the story is great. So, uh, mashallah, may Allah give you tawfiq. Allah bless you. And uh, we, we and you know what we could do? Anytime that you're done with a season or you want to promote something, come on. We'll share it with everybody. So and we'll listen to clips, and it will be a way for you to, um, you know, uh, when, when J.K. Rowling, whenever these people write a book, what do they do? They go on The Late Show to tell everyone yep. about the book. They go tour. on... Uh, a little tour. They tell everyone about their work. So how else are people going to know? So yeah. uh, inshallah ta'ala, you, anytime you just ping us and you keep us updated on your work because Sira of the Prophet's Eye Center, like what else are we doing here is yeah. trying to promote the deen and anything creative, any little edge that we can get with our kids uh, to sit down with them and listen for 10 minutes, 20 minutes uh, to, to, to bring some barakah in our homes and put some deen in our kids' hearts. That's our goal. So, Jazakallah khairan. to continue on that. And Jazakallah for having me on that. For our viewers, season mm-hmm. one available right now. The Sound of Sira on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, whatever it is. Uh, keep an eye out, inshallah, for season two coming very, very soon, inshallah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, man. Jazakallah khairan. Right. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi There you have it, everyone. Uh, the Sound of Sira. Let's uh, you know j- go over there, take a look at it. And I think we got to do this in not a lot of languages. There's Samiullah here saying he's from Kashmir, the Indian side of Kashmir. So, you know, take some inspiration. You put it in Kashmiri, put it in Urdu, put it in Hindi, right? Do the same thing. It's uh, the way that Islam is going to proceed here. And every proceeds with us or without us, every generation is a million little efforts. Right, that fill in the gaps and become something huge. So don't ever think, oh, it's a small little effort. I need to be. Big. You don't need to be big at all. Okay, you don't need to be big at all. You don't need to be. Just keep 
putting out efforts and you never know your little 1% is in addition to 10 other 1%. Like if you affect somebody's a fam, a household 1%, that's amazing because you're not the only 1%. There's another one affecting them 1% and another one affecting them 1%. And if 20 people affect them 1%, that's 20%. That puts that family over the top, right? And puts that person over the top. All right, so... Uh, I think people really, really just absolute utter waste of time when they watch anime or that do any show that you're watching that's fiction that you devote that much time to it. It should be just highlight in your brain, delete, highlight the whole file. No, don't click on the individuals, the whole folder, delete, then go into the trash bin, permanent delete. That stuff should just be deleted. Awesome. And Hakim has a hilarious, somebody saying here said, man, S Right, he's saying he's got. Uh, we well, got to hear that. Hey, could you pull that up? Uh, you know, the the, the guy has uh, is one of those. I can't watch an awesome Hakim video except I have to laugh, right? Not a laughing at him, right? But he's his his mannerism just just cracked me. Ali up, says right. I want to ask if watching anime. Like it's now two oh seven. Is halal or makruh? Let's 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 put let's put this on. Tell me when you're ready. Okay. All right. Let's take some comments and questions for now until we we put on this uh, uh, comedy session. Again, I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing. You know, he's just his 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 style is just comedic to me. And uh, of course, you know, he's got his. Well, heavy leanings, but forget about that. Um, what's the shortest salawat we can recite? Allahumma salli wa sallim alayh. Four words. Allahumma salli wa sallim alayh. Four words. This is the hadith that says a parent cannot be put to death for killing his or her child. Sahih. Yes. Uh, but it's uh, doesn't mean he doesn't have the sin of it, right? does not mean he has the sin of it, but there's a conflict of interest. Why? Because who is it that decides about the execution of a person? The inheritors. Who are the inheritors? The man's wife, the man's daughters, the man's son, grandparents, all that, the man's parents, all that. They are the ones who decide. So because of that conflict of interest, the Sharia will not uh, uh, engage with that. But he's, of course, he has the sin of it. Planet Destroy, you can put your questions here. We'd open Q&A for now until we get to... Um... Abdul Hadi says, is it permissible to play non-contact sports? Even contact sports, as long as the contact is not injurious. Like tackle football, that's halal to play, as long as it's not injurious. Football with headshots, with the type of tackling that produces concussions, that's a different story. Lana says, I joined late. What are we talking about? Go up and go to the Sound of Sira. That's what we talked about today. Sound of Sira. It's a Sira program for youth. We ready to go? All right, let's hear what Awesome Hakim says about... Uh... Ali says, I want to ask if watching anime like Naruto is halal or makruh. 
What is Naruto? Naruto or Uzumaki Naruto is an anime, cartoons, Japanese cartoons that came like 20 plus years ago and they started in series and it talks about the community of the ninja and how there was a demon known as the nine-tailed fox who was spreading corruption and chaos in the place until one of their masters managed to capture it and put it and imprison it in his newborn child. And it talks about the life of like you the it. child and how things are happening, etc. blah, blah, blah. How does he know all this information? Now, uh. lots of the people said that this is an innocent thing. But even the disbelievers raised red flags because this had many issues to them as disbelievers, let alone to us as Muslims. Among these things, for example, that there are subtle hints of sexuality in it. So this Naruto had a crush on his teacher. How is this possible? Again, LGBT? Is he a transgender? In one of the episodes, he comes oh in the form of a woman wearing bikini, trying to seduce his sensei or teacher. Along with other men who act like women, though they are men. So this is promoting transgenders, tra uh, promoting homosexuality from a hidden angle. As Muslims, we are very careful to what we see because we acknowledge that such influence of the media is very dire and dangerous, especially on our children. And this is why even the most innocent of all cartoons may have such embedded messages, not necessarily directed to the Muslims. They don't care. They just want to spread evil and to raise our children on what they want them to believe. Even Tom and Jerry, <laughs> you will find such hints. Tom and Jerry are out, canceled. When the mouse wears a bikini and dance the oh. Hawaiian way of dancing and tries to seduce others. <laughs> this <laughs> seems innocent, but it is not. Our children, when they're three or four years of age, watching this, this has a negative impact as they grow. So for us Muslims, we have to be very protective from watching such filth that doesn't get us closer to Allah. But Sheikh, it's fun. Yeah, I know it's fun. It can easily consume five or six hours of your day because you're addicted to it. And the bad part is, even if you spend six hours a day and you've had enough, you turn it off, what happens? 
The moment you see your mom or dad or someone close to you, I'm bored. You've <laughs> just spent six hours watching something you like. Yeah, but still I'm bored because this is an addiction. It doesn't fulfill the vacuum in your heart. And this is why we need to address this issue with Islamic alternative, with sports clubs, with places where kids can hang out safely and learn good things with righteous practicing Muslims and Allah knows best. So there you have it. Uh, you asked about Naruto. Well, now Tom and Jerry's out too. But uh, you know what my favorite one growing up was? My favorite one of all growing up was the coyote and the roadrunner. Right. Coyote and the roadrunner. Oh, it was my favorite. Why? Because like that whole New Mexico vibe. Relaxing, fun. I mean, like peaceful. It was a really peaceful vibe there. It's an addiction. I don't understand how any parents allow kids to watch four, five, and six hours. What's wrong with you? Not even. This stuff is trash, right? Four or five hours of, of, of watching TV, and then you wonder why you're not successful. You're getting smashed by the Hindu kids in school, and the Chinese kids are absolutely trouncing you because they're not doing this stuff. They're doing math equations while you're watching this nonsense. That's why. That's old, by the way. The new generation are as rotten as, as, as everyone else. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I, I despise this type of stuff. No, I'm not a fan of this stuff. If, if my kids want to have fun, they're going to play sports. Go play a sport. Like, come back tired. Come back sweaty. Come back learning how to win and lose. And, by the way, I'm, I'm an assistant soccer coach. And last time we played Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a school here. You know the famous Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They have a school here. That was that was a tough game. So we did, we dropped that one because that was a really good opponent. But then we played the next one. We played Edison, you know, Tech. Like Edison Tech. And our uh, team had a good game on that one and, and totally smashed them. But that team was miskeen. Like they were not coached at all. There was no talking from the other bench. No talking from the other coach, right? And our kids were just having a blast, right? Def- winning. But I felt, felt like they won so handily that they didn't have to play soccer halfway through the game. They were just like kicking the ball around and scoring whenever they wanted to. It's one of the bad parts about succeeding so thoroughly is that you actually end up not having, not re- being required, you know, to study, uh, 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 to, to, to play smart. And to play disciplined soccer. So that's the negative part of that. Okay. How do you manage screen time when they're young? Well, it's... First of all, there is a difference between small screens, medium-sized screens, and big screens. The smaller the screen, I've been told, the worse it is for for the eyes and the brain. So much so that a local psychiatrist preaches that the the small mobile phone screen is like poison to a child's brain. TV is bad, but it's not poison. Okay? 
So that's the first thing because you you have to hone in so much. And so apparently there is a difference between the smaller screens and the bigger screens. Eventually we got to the point that we only let them watch a couple movies on Saturday. Like one movie or two or something like that. Why? Because also being totally out of the loop is also a problem. Total deprivation of something is also a problem because uh, um, because you're still living in a society and you don't want to walk outside and all your friends are talking about something. You have no clue what they're talking about. That it sort of builds up after a while. And so you don't want to go that route either. So you got to find in the middle there. So the bigger the screen, the safer it is for kids and youth, children especially. So that's one thing to focus on. And if they have siblings, then they busy themselves with each other, right? And have, a to- you know, toys or whatever than that. And then it's far better to do that than to be on the screen. Most parents open up the TV or give them iPad because the parent is lazy. No, no offense to you. Because I know many of my friends do this, but that's my opinion. You are lazy. The kids are crying. Just shut him up. No, that's not the way to do things. The easy way out is always bad, right? The easy way out, it, it's just never right. So, um, no, I, I like them. They like me, but I just think they're lazy. You just, oh, as soon as the kid's crying, give him the phone. Give him the iPad. Shut up. It's a very dangerous technique of raising kids, and those kids they don't turn out right in many ways. Their eyes are no good. Their necks are no good. Their social habits are no good their ability to read books are no good and i've seen kids being walked on a buggy or a stroller with an ipad but they're not looking around right they're not looking oh there's a squirrel there's a chipmunk right they're not looking around this is not good at all in my personal opinion and we'll see we'll see the results all right, well, here's the question. What happens if there is a sport and there's a girl on the other sport, uh, on the other team, when you're a boy? So you avoid trying to touch that. I mean, you can't, like, what are you going to do? You're going to say, you, you don't necessarily are obligated to say, okay, let's forfeit the whole game, but just don't play such tough defense on her. Have someone else play the defense on her, right? I mean, what else are you going to do? You, your team takes the field, and their other team has a girl on the field. Okay, how's that for the answer? What else are you going to do? All right. I don't think children need to have an iPad and a smartphone. Uh, It's not good for their brain. And also, you got to look at the long picture here. The most successful kids, they're the kids whose mind is working most of the time, okay? They're gaining some kind of useful knowledge. They're having some kind of good sleep habits, right? In the long term... Those are the successful people in the world in the long term. The people with good sleep habits, good reading habits, good study habits. Not, you can't, you know, some kid with had no upbringing, no terbiyah, like Steve Jobs, someone left in the wild. That's don't, you're not, kid's not Steve Jobs though. That's not an example. That's the exception. That is not the rule. That's the exception. He was somebody, Steve Jobs was someone who was left wild. He's literally a wild human being. No terbiyah whatsoever. Okay. He's the exception. He's not the norm. So you don't make you don't take it inspiration from the exceptions. The successful people tend to be those with solid habits, okay? And spending all this time on games and on TV and on all right, be be go be with the failures and the losers of life. Okay, if that's what you want to do. All right. 
What are the end times for the evening and morning adhkar? The morning adhkar are from Fajr until uh, right before, around before Dhuhr. That's the morning. And the evening adhkar is from after you pray Asr all the way till you go to sleep. How do you deal with sports that have to cover your aura? Well, if the sport, if the aura we're talking about is just a little bit area above the the knee, you can just not look at them. If it's, we're talking like beach volleyball, obviously you're not going to be involved with that in any capacity. Okay. When Cain and Abel gave sacrifices in the form of harvested food or meat, it was taken up by Allah. And what is the meaning and significance of this? So it's narrated that each one put their sacrifices in a certain location, in, in, in the same location. They wake up the next day. If they found the one that was burned, consumed, that's the one that was accepted. Why is that? Because there were no poor people at the time. So they could not give sadaqah to others. So the nature of sadaqah at the time was that you put your food on like an altar, your charity on an altar. Next day, if you found that it's ashes, it was burned and it's ashes, that means Allah accepted it. That was how you gave charity in those times because there were no poor people. Okay? Very early on, as soon as there became poor people, then you gave sadaqah in general to the fuqara. Mr. Derpington says, how does someone that grew up without a madhab find or choose a madhab? By reading the biographies and methodologies of the imams and asking yourself who is most worthy of being followed. Okay? How strictly do you follow one? You stick with it until it becomes a hardship. In a, in a matter that's a hardship or it doesn't answer a question, then you can go to another madhab for that. Okay? You don't go to the opinions and pick a madhab by what their opinions are. You pick them by the methodology and the biography of the imam and who you most admire and believe that his methodology is right. Okay. Talib Goksan. Had, um, okay, we answered that question about the aura. What time do we have a mawlid on Friday? 7.30. We start, inshallah ta'ala. After Maghrib, basically. 7.30, but it'll probably, you know, be the... Entry time, maybe we'll read the athkar, and then we'll probably get really be going at 8 o'clock. Follow us, uh, like the stream, subscribe to it, and be a supporter at patreon.com slash Safina Society, and help youth go for Umrah at launchgood.com slash, you paying attention? Launchgood.com slash Umrah number four for you. He's going to put it in there. Let's take an update on where we're at. Launchgood.com. We are at six. That's great. Allahu Akbar. $6,023. So six youth. We have slashed $1,000 off their Umrah trip. Many people can do Umrah, but they can't afford these prices. So we're slashing the prices for, for 25 youth who need it. And it, we may change. We may end up, let's say, a lot of youth say, no, no, I'll pay full. And we give more uh, discount money to certain specific youth. Okay. Why did Imam Madik have a dispute with Ibn Ishaq? I think, I don't know. I have to look that up. I know about that, but 
I don't know. Is Al-Waqidi reliable with respect uh, to Sira primary sources? No, he has some things that are, are there that are not um, that are not acceptable. Like he is the narrator of the satanic verses. That shaitan tricked the Prophet ﷺ into thinking that certain verses were part of surahs and najm that were not. That the idols are like heavenly birds and their shafa'ah is desirable. That's false. That never happens. That's a false story. In fact, surat and najm in itself, it begins with that the Prophet never makes a mistake in recitation. When najm ma dalla the, the, the lie itself is in Surah Al-Najm. The false fabricated story that Iblis whispered these verses to the Prophet and he then recited them in Surah Al-Najm and all of Quraysh celebrated that the dispute is over, we can keep the idols and worship Allah and the idols are good. Allah has approved of the idols. Okay, That story itself is a lie Surat and Najm, the opening verses themselves negate any such possibility by saying when Najmi ida hawa by the revelation when it comes down. And Najm here meaning the revelation when it comes down. Verily, your companion never went astray nor made a mistake in the revelation. And he does not speak except through inspiration. So there is never a mistake about the revelation from the Prophet. The story itself is negated in Surah Al-Najm. Okay? So it's as if, it is not as if, it is Allah knows when and how people will make things up about the Prophet ﷺ. He negates it in the beginning of the Quran, uh, the Surah. Okay? How about, a question from the Haq Knight, the fallen angels. Is our Harut and Marut fallen angels? Again, it, this is from the Bani Israel who have constant, non-stop, uh, methods and manners and ways of um, managing to distort the truth and dis, uh, dishonor angels and prophets. Harut and Marut were angels sent down to the earth in the form of men to teach human beings what sorcery is all about. Because human beings, the sorcerers were very strong and they were confusing the dark power with the light, power of light. Prophetic power of angels and revelation with the dark powers of black magic. So Harut and Marut came to demystify to people what black magic actually is. Black magic is nothing other than tapping into the world of the jinn to harm other human beings. That's how simple it is. That's how simple it is. Okay. Why do we call it magic? Because we can't really see it. We don't know that law. The jinn ab abide and live on this earth on a whole different set of physical laws. Their physics is different from our physics. The fools of the materialists are the ones who imagine that physics is one physics for the whole universe. No. The physics that we live in here, like gravity, you need food, you need to do these things to, do th to achieve results, that's only our physics. That is not the physics of the jinn. That is not the physics of the afterlife. It's just our temporary physics. Okay, so... When it's people who t are able to tap into the dark side of the other spirit uh, creature that lives along with us on this earth called the jinn and get those jinn to harm other human beings. 
that's what black magic is. And Harut and Marut were noble angels that came down to teach human beings that that's what black magic is. Because if you know what it is, the mystification of it is gone from you. Once you know the trick, you're no longer amazed. That's the purpose of Harut and Marut. Abdul Hadi says, one of my professors says, the Prophet, sallallahu, peace be upon him, after mentioning the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, will he get worldly benefits from it? Yes, he will, and he may even get from that some, if he does not enter Islam, such people who honor the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, may have a decrease and a lightening of their punishment, the proof of which is the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said that about Abu Lahab. What was the good deed that Abu Lahab did? Merely. He was happy that the Prophet was born. That's it. He was happy that the Prophet ﷺ was born. And as a result of that, he will be given a small bit of water to drink in the hellfire every Monday. So that is the fair compensation. Allah compensates every good deed. Okay? Compensation is different from rewarding. What's the difference? Compensation does not come with love. Reward comes with love. All right. All right. Yavuz says, is it better to pray a one long to hedge or multiple short ones? It's better to, to start off with two very short rakas. That's how the prophet said to do it. Then long. Even if the whole two rakas takes 20 minutes. Okay. All right, let's go to the next question. Okay, we saw Cain and Abel, Mr. Pingington. Oh, what, when does the Maulid end on Friday? Probably 10. Probably 10. Okay. We talked about Waqidi. Let's go to the next question. Where can I take Islamic classes online? Send men S. Go to arcview.org, folks. Go to arcview.org. The whole function of this podcast is that we try to introduce people to, you know, the fundamentals of Ahl-Sunnah in this live stream. But then the whole point of it is to navigate and to point people to start taking actual courses. And the way in which you take actual courses online if it's online, it's online, but you, there, there are ways in which you can improve you, you know, your, your benefit. You have to eliminate distractions. You have to set a time. You have to set a location. You have to eliminate distractions and take your online course if it's live, okay, with a notebook and a pen in your hands and not touching the computer. You cannot take an online class with the computer in front of you. Your, you, your mind now has to discipline itself from not going to other tabs. So when you take a class on the computer or on the phone, keep whatever the device is far from you. Then take the book that you're going to study from. Like make it such that if you want to type something on the device, that you would actually physically have to get up and take three, four steps. Put the volume up, put the device far away from you, take three, four steps back, okay? Be in a location that people can't bother you or dist or won't distract you and then have the book that you're studying from and take notes there right in the book 
Like follow along what the teacher's saying. Or take a notebook and write stuff down. Have a pen and paper and be physically three, four steps away from the device that you're studying from. And if it's a pre-recorded class that you're listening to, then now it's open-ended as to when you're going to take the class, assign yourself a time and assign yourself a limit. So I'm going to take this pre-recorded class for 15 minutes after Fajr every day. Set a timer, 15 minutes. When the class is done, screenshot where you left off so that you know exactly I left off on lesson five, minute 12. And again, put the device far away from you and then write your notes down. That's how to study online. So go to arcview.org and start taking the classes. How do you begin taking these classes? If you're a beginner, start with aqida, then tajweed, then fiqh. What's our special program for Rabia al-Awwal? Well, every day we read a little bit. We all, I, I wanted to read a lot more today, but we didn't do Q&A yesterday, so we're doing a longer Q&A today. But we were reading from the Shama'il, and that's what we'll continue reading from. Are Malik and Ahmed muhaddithun? Yes, they are. They're fuqaha and muhaddithun. Al-Shafi'i is not considered a muhaddith. He's a faqih and an usuli. He's the first usuli. Usuli is the one concerned with the method of deriving the law. Of course, every scholar had a method, but he's the one who codified it and said, no, we can't just have a method and then talk about the results. We need to talk more about the method than the results. That is the contribution of Imam al-Shafi'i. Simply Salah says, how can we manage academia when our son is full-time in HIV school? Mm, do you mean by that your son's academics? In which case, he's going to be full-time in HIV school for, what, two years before he finishes? He should finish in two years, right? If he's full-time. So he'll, if you, in two years, finish one year of school, Okay, then in the next two years, you take summer classes. By three years, he'll be caught up. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And he's going to be different from his peers. He's going to be a harder worker. He'll have memorized the Quran, and then he'll be at the same level as them. If I understood the question. Can we stream our program on Friday uh, problem is that we can try, but the thing is there's so many people in the building. The acoustics are not good. The Wi-Fi slows down because there's 500 people using it. But we could try. Why do Medicis pray with their hands down? That's what they... The question is why do the other methods pray with their arms folded? Because the default is praying with the hands down. The prophet then said, fold your hands. Okay. Now, what is the proof that the prophet, that the default was praying with the hands down? Because that is the natural standing position. You tell someone to stand up when they, to stand up, no one's going to fold their hands, right? The default is to pray with your hands down. So the question is then why do people, why do other methods fold their hands? Not the other way around. So the prophet said, fold your hands in salah. 
Now the question is, how did the Sahaba understand that? What was the purpose? The Madikiyas understand that the the what the Prophet meant by that was when you praying by yourself a long prayer, nafila, and your hands get numb and tired instead of doing this with your hands and fidgeting, then you may hold your hands. That's how the Madikis understood it. So they understand it as a permissible rukhsa, rukhsa, an allowance to do something for extra prayers, extra long prayers. That's how the Madikis understand So we have qabd. We also hold our hands in a different time and place. The other madhab said, no, there's no difference. It's all sunnah or not even sunnah, fadila. The levels are obligations, sunan, and light, lightly recommended things. So that is a lightly recommended thing in the Shafi'i, Hanbali, and Hanafi school. Okay? So th- the question has to be said correctly. It's not why the Madagascar pray with their hands down. That, isn't that not the default of standing? You tell anyone, stand there right in front of me. They're going to stand with their hands down. Right? So the real question is, why would you fold your hands? Well, we've fold their hands because the Prophet said, fold their hands. Okay, now the question is, what did the for when and for what did the Prophet mean to fold their hands? He meant fold your hands, according to the Madikis, is when you are praying a nafila and your hands get numb. And that narration, I put it in safinasociety.org slash sadl, S-A-D-L. Okay? I should, we should stop discussing sadl and we should discuss qabd. So we have qabd. Qabd is clasping the hands in the prayer. We have it in the Madiki school as a permitted action in long nafila prayers. And it's discouraged in the obligatory prayer. So that's it. Next question. Would you recommend not reading serial material that contained content from Waqadi? Not for the beginner, no. The beginner should not read from Waqadi. Did Ibn Taymiyyah believe in the satanic verses? I do not know. But I do know that I wouldn't be surprised because there were some Sunnis who did adopt and said, yes, it, it did happen. But the majority opinion is that no, it didn't happen. Was it true that the Malikiyah, uh, if Egypt physically attacked Imam al-Shafi'i, I believe there is some something like that, but I didn't see the exact narration. Is it sufficient for one to recite part of Dalai al-Khairat and consider that salawat for the day? Listen, Hamza Azhar is asking this question. You ask yourself, on my busiest day, how much time can I devote to salat on the Prophet Let's say the honest truth, 10 minutes. On my busiest day, 10 minutes. Okay. Stick to 10 minutes. Don't leave 10 minutes. No more. If you have extra time in the day, even after 10 minutes, at least stop. Stop. You've finished your, your time for the day. If you want to do more, you could do more, but every 10 minutes, you stop. So that 10 minutes, you got to choose where you're going to recite them. What time are you going to... Don't leave it 10 minutes open-ended, flying around. No. Where are you going to do your salawat? What time are you going to do your salawat? It should not be open-ended. Nothing... Successful is open-ended. Nothing that gets done is open-ended. Imagine your job says, hey, uh, listen, I need you to, to program this, that, this, that, and the other. Um, we need it 
uh, that's your job. We're going to give you $50,000 a year to write us these programs. Oh, okay, when, when are they due? When, when do I show up for work? Whenever you want. When is it due? Whenever you want. Imagine he gives that, they give that to 100 people. The company's not going to run like that. There needs to be a time that you work. We need to check and know you're working at this time. If not that, then at least by this time, the project's got to be done. So, but the best advice, if you really truly want to get something done in your life, you need to set a reasonable time limit. You need to set the location in which you're going to do it. And you need to set the time in which you're going to do it. Okay. The location should not be a location that can be distracting. The time cannot be a time that has regular scheduling conflicts. The time should not be a time in which you can possibly be exhausted. Can't say, well, when I come home from work. You can't do anything useful when you come home from work. Ask me personally, I can't do anything useful when I come home. If I come home at 8 p.m., there's nothing useful is ever going to happen after it at that time, especially if you started your day early, right? So people fail in doing things by themselves all the time because they don't set specific times, locations, and time limits to their actions. They leave it open-ended. That's why I know people who are, who are of the highest level in the medical field or the highest level in the IT field or the highest level in the legal profession. But when it comes to just studying a basic, something basic online, they're absolute failures. Why? Are they stupid? No. Do they not want it? No. But because they got to the height of their profession because they went to a school that told them you show up at this time and surrounded them with other people who are doing the same thing. So they had the companionship. They had a system. They had a structure. If you have a structure and you don't have motivation, like you don't have desire, but you have structure, and another person has motivation, desire, but no structure, who do you think is going to succeed? You think people who go to nursing school, for example, let's take nursing school as an example. Are they pumped up to go to nursing school? I don't think anybody is. Is there anyone pumped up? Oh, let's learn today how to take a a syringe of blood. Let's learn today the effects of Tylenol. Let's learn today how to take a blood. Who cares about this stuff? It's not exciting. There's nothing exciting about it. There is zero exciting about it. The hospital, patients are miserable. Patients are disgusting. People aren't disgusting, but as patients, they're disgusting. Right? Vomiting all over the place, sweating, looking terrible, moaning, being miserable, looking terrible. It's it's disgusting. There's nothing exciting about it, yet they all succeed. Why? Structure. Structure. In contrast, working out oftentimes is a lot of fun. I had to put the TV on, get on the treadmill, put my athletic clothes on, look great afterwards, feel great afterwards. But people fail at it. Why? Because they leave it open-ended. No structure. They don't say, okay, I'm going to run 15 minutes from at this hour, right when I wake up, and then I'm going to go take my shower, have my coffee, go to work. Like structure. It's far more important than enjoying yourself and far more important than than feeling motivated. Umama, the granddaughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Let's look up and give a educated answer about the story of Umama, the granddaughter of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Inshallah, Taala. 
We should look that up and say something useful about her. What's the ruling on intermixing uh, in a wedding ceremony, says Jack and Jill. Uh, the mingling that can allow people to stare at one another in what is haram is makruh. And it could be haram. The mingling in that allows people to smell each other's perfume. That is too close and that is, again, discouraged, but it could be haram. Depending on the degree, of course. The mingling that would cause bodies to touch each other. That's absolutely forbidden. Like the too close that's absolutely forbidden and the mingling that is between that let's say and uh the separation a distance that would not allow you to be able to look at someone's face see someone's physique smell their perfume chit chat with them that's a separation that is desirable so those are the two extremes and everything in between will go from makru to haram depending on its degree and what you do, obviously, would be haram, okay? If you do it, if, if one of us does that type of mingling, staring, chit-chat for no reason, etc. okay? Uh, those weddings, you, you go in there, and as soon as it gets like that, then you get up and you go outside. You go for the, look for the prayer hall, right? Talk on the phone outside. Go chit-chat with your friends outside, Okay? The hadith about the happiness of Abu Lahab on the birth of the Prophet ﷺ is yet another proof of the permissibility of the Mawlid. How is there even a discussion on the permissibility of the Mawlid when celebrating things as halal in Islam? Are we going to disagree with that? Listen, we got kindergarten kids. The kid literally just learned how to walk or say the ABCs and urinate properly in the toilet. We do a party for the kids. Pre-K, moving up ceremony. And the parents come and there's cookies and they sing a song and blah, blah, blah. That's halal, right? Pre-K, moving up ceremony. Celebrating things in general is halal. No one will ever, no faqih, no madhab can ever deny that celebrating stuff is halal. The question being, what is being celebrated and how it's being celebrated? That will make it halal, mandub, makru, haram. Celebrating that we opened a liquor store, haram. Celebrating that I opened a restaurant, halal restaurant, halal. Now, how am I celebrating the halal restaurant? With mingling and dancing and music. The, the celebration is halal, the method is haram. Has sinful things in it. Okay, Celebrating a halal restaurant by a, a nice party to give sadaqah to poor people, to bring in the notables of the community, and to do what is good and halal. Then halal. Celebrating things is not even up for discussion. So is there a, pro, a, a greater celebration than the achievement, the gift Allah gave us of being from the Ummah Muhammad and celebrating that the Prophet is our Prophet? There cannot possibly be a greater thing to celebrate because we wouldn't even have a sharia to discuss without the Prophet, peace be upon him. He's the sabab that Allah chose Okay, to bring us this religion. I do taqlid of the Maliki Madhab says planet destroyer. I heard that there's a second mashhur that removing khabath before salah is sunnah. Can this be ruling 
be kept in mind as a way of avoiding hardship? And the answer is yes. Let's say someone's muwaswa. Maliki madhab is only madhab that has two mashur opinions about removing khabath, najasa, from your clothes, skin, or place of prayer. And they say that it's a sunnah. What's their proof? They say that najasa was poured on the back of the Prophet wasallam while praying and he continued his salah. So the end result is that it is an obligation it is an obligation only insofar as you can do it and you remember to do it. If you forgot to do it or you're unable to do it, you're good to go. Who's unable to remove najasa? Like a butcher, a surgeon, or muwaswas, someone muwaswas, someone whose shaitan is tricking him, tricking him, keeps tricking him, okay? And, and, and whispering, 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 making him really doubt himself. That is from shaitan. Notice wiswas, it comes in salah, in tahara. Why? So that shaitan wants to make tahara and salah so heavy on you, so burdensome that you just want to leave it all off, okay? That you never pray again. Because I just don't know if I have tahara or not. So the muwaswas prays as is. He, does, he ignores those wiswas. There are a lot of questions when it comes to najasa that are not covered in basic fiqh lessons. Okay. Well, that's why you go to arcview.org and you start with, the, with Uthman Qureshi's Maliki Fiqh 101. Akhdari. He starts today. Abdul Hadi. When the imam recites an ayah about paradise or hellfire, is it permi- permissible to make dua in your heart for it and against it? Yes, it is. Hamza Azhar, is it sufficient for one to recite part of Dalal Kharat? Yes, we answered that. Okay. To build a routine, make sure the amount you commit yourself to is so small that you don't feel that it disrupted your routine at all. It doesn't matter how small it is. Get the consistency first. Do it like that for a year. Okay. Which salawat besides salawat Ibrahim is most powerful one? Then I would say salah and nariya because it combines in it such a number of dua and supplications that we all need for our lives. Salatan tunjina biha min jami al ahwali wal afat. Wa taqdi lana biha jami al hajat. Wa tutahiruna biha min jami al sayat. Wa tarfauna indaka ala darajat. Go to Salawat Hub. What is it? .com or .org? Go to SalawatHub.com and look up a Salah and Nariya. .com, SalawatHub.com and go to Salat Salah and Nariya. Okay. I'm taking an Arabic intensive online and I'm already well behind. There's no race. Take what you can, but study consistently. If all you can do is take 10 minutes a day, take 10 minutes a day. They're, they're, I'm sure the lessons are there pre-recorded right? or they'll be recorded and they're left afterwards. Not everyone can do what our guest did yesterday and do three hours when he, before he wakes up. I mean, three hours before he goes to work. Three hours when he comes back. Not everyone could do that. Okay. What about the hadith that says the riba is worse than having intercourse with your mother? Why is it worse? Um, 
because it's categorically worse. The category of financial sins is worse than sexual sins. That's why. Because financial sins will destroy a nation, destroy an economy. And that sexual sin um, is for you. you. You suffer from it. And Allah knows best. Allah knows best. What can we do in Rabia al-Awwal as a family? You can gather the family and listen to something. Gather the family and watch something. Gather the family and read a book together. Okay? Everyone read a page. Read some salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. Gather together and, and watch the Celebrate Mercy. Let's promote the Celebrate. They're doing a good job. Ask me, they're doing a good job. Celebrate Mercy is doing a great job. Okay? Uh, why don't you go look up uh, uh, Omar here. What is Celebrate Mercy doing? Okay. Why don't we get Tariq on too? Yeah. Tariq Al uh, Masidi is Celebrate Mercy, has one full month of Milad programming. Shama'il, Sira, they got one for kids. Go to the website and start, you know, turn, go on your smart TV at home, turn it on, just turn it on, right? Get the family together, sit around, watch, and benefit, okay? So they have a whole month of programming, okay? And this month I uh, uh, turned down to be able to do too many because they go late. And they cater to the time zones, all the time zones. So they want to cater to California time. So some of the program starts at 9 o'clock. I said, listen, I'm at a point right now, I have to wake up very early every day. I, there's no way I could go deep into the night anymore. So, But they have other people doing the... Uh, does a person need to have a mic and a camera to be an ArcView student? No, not at all. No. You don't need to come on to be an ArcView student, says for Dr. Pingington. Can you explain the Sharia rationale behind executing murtads? Quality control. Cancer cells. When you have a cell that has become cancerous, what do you have to do with it? You got to remove it. What if there's a poisonous bottle right in front of you? Doesn't harm me, right? But if it's inside of me, I got to kill it. I got to get rid of it. So, um... It's quality control. We need quality control in our ummah. Such people are very dangerous, right? They know the ins and outs of Islam, and they could now start pulling people. They are malignant, right? What is the benign apostate? The apostate who keeps his apostasy to himself. We don't know it. He doesn't announce it. So he's benign. So we don't know it, so we can't punish him. The sharia. I am making a lot of dua, says Ahmed W., for something to happen and to fall into place. But I cut it down a bit as I feared I was falling too much in love of the dunya. No, you should not because when you are making dua, your iman is increasing. So you are not a person of the dunya. When you are making dua, you are not a person of the dunya. Okay? But you can add in it qualities. Grant it for me Give it to me as long as that is good for my deen and my dunya. 
or give it to me in a way that is good for my deen and dunya. Anytime that you're decreasing your dua, shaitan is, is tricking you. But correct the dua. Oh Allah, grant me this and make me thankful for it and make it good for my deen and my dunya. So just word it correctly. Okay. What is the appropriate time for Juma? From Dhuhr all the way to Maghrib, Juma can be recited and prayed. Not after Maghrib, no, before Maghrib, yes. I've been wondering uh, about this for a while, says our uh, man Jan, our, our, our correspondent from North England. I like biology, I like science, so I'd love to know about this. What is the correct Islamic view of evolution and selection and evolution selection dinosaurs? There's one condition, one theology that is absolutely necessary, that is not up for discussion, according to the Quran and the Hadith of the Prophet and that is the creation of the human being. Adam was created as a statue of clay. Then Allah uh, placed the spirit in him, the soul in him. Adam was created then from, uh, Eve was created from Adam. Adam did not have antecedents. There was no lineage above him. There was no species above him. There was nothing above him. He was created directly. That's it. If you want to believe in other kinds of erect and upright non-humans, okay, like non-rational upright beings, you may believe in that. If you want to believe that frogs evolved out of whatever you want to believe or whatever your evidence suggests, if you want to believe that dogs evolved, that chickens evolved, you may believe in all that. If you want to believe that dinosaurs existed, you can believe that if you want. Of course, when I say believe that, I mean based upon evidence, right? Even if you want to believe in it without evidence, you're not contradicting any Islamic doctrine. You may be right, you may be wrong but you're not in contradiction with the Qur'an. You are in contradiction directly with the Qur'an when someone says that the human being himself as a species evolved from another species. That's an unacceptable belief in Islam. Allah makes it very clear, okay, that very clear that Adam was at some point a statue made out of hardened clay, Created directly. No parentage. And then Eve was created out of Adam. That's it. And then the human beings were created after that. By birth. That's your summary of where we have to stop. Where, so what, we, what do we say? We say any human theory that contradicts revelation, there's a problem in the theory. The theory needs to be corrected. Will you be at Al-Maqasid? Yes, inshallah. Saturday. Got to get my white thobe cleaned up. If someone devotes all their time to salawat, so they stop reading Quran, would that be misguided? Um... There must be a word of Qur'an a day. 
even if short, such as five minutes of recitation a day, something like that. We do not, we, we, it, it, it is displeasing to the Prophet وسلم, that someone ignores the book of Allah. What's the proof? The Prophet himself says, The people have abandoned this book. Does Musnad Imam Ahmad have all the hadith? No. There is no book that has all the hadith in it. But Muslim Imam Ahmad is a huge book of hadith. 40,000 entries. What's the ruling on women wearing perfume not in the house, not outside in a way that other men would smell her and look at her and be attracted to her? What's your thought on marrying a reaver who wants to live with their parents who isn't Muslim after marriage? No, the, what is the point of marrying if you don't go live with your husband? You should live with your husband. You know, if there's an extraneous circumstance, that's different. But husband and wife should live together. But there may be an extraneous circumstance. You never know. Bodybuilding. Ubiquitous wants to know, can I take part in a bodybuilding uh, competition? You can. Um, uh, you can if you're not showing your aura. So you can't go in a, in in the uh, showing your thighs and your aura. There's no justification for that, okay, to do that. So you can go into bodybuilding with parameters, right? The parameter is that you have to be mindful of the showing off element. You have to be mindful of the amount of time spent on this. You have to be mindful of not showing your aura. So. In theory, bodybuilding by itself, we can't say it's forbidden. What if someone says it's encouraging health in a world of unhealthy people? We say that's good. We should encourage health. It allows you to do more with your life later on when you learn good health habits and good routines in health. So we should encourage that for everybody. When you intermix at work, says SR, Saudi Riel says, uh, you're good at your job, but you're socially inept in small talk and chit-chat with the opposite sex. Be boring and uninterested. Be great at your job. Being great at your job affords you a certain leeway. That, that's that's good. Okay. A lot of people who are really good can afford to be socially inept. Okay. Uh, Performance-enhancing drugs is another thing that you, part of the parameters of getting into this world, right? And maybe not all worlds are for us. Oh, first Muslim bodybuilder. Why is that supposed to be good? He probably did five haram things. For, what, like, why are we says just the first Muslim should not mean anything that we have to celebrate? First Muslim, we, there was a first Muslim in Playboy, right? She wasn't undressed, but why is that something to be proud of? Oh, Malcolm X was in Playboy. So what? He was wrong. How's that? What is he like, Masum or something? A first Muslim to do this, that first Muslim. Is that, is it just a word first Muslim? We just jump to celebrate. Fools. First Muslim judge. Is she ruling? What is she ruling by? Right? Don't we have verses on what is, what we must rule by in Islam? Do we just forget those verses? like those people that go on your YouTube comments and go first. Yeah. <laughs> first. <laughs> SubhanAllah. First Muslim judge. Yeah, but what is she, what law is she applying in, in matters that are important? 
Does not Allah have rules, okay, on financial matters, on marriage, on murder? Does not have rules for these things? So we're just going to ignore them? Is he not our Lord in the heavens and on in the earth, as Allah says in the Quran, which means that he is in charge of this earth. Earth. He makes law for this earth. He's not just in law for the heavens and on this earth nothing. No. So first, Muslim this, that, and the other is not a reason to celebrate. Okay. Is a nurse and a hospital worker included in the difficulty about getting Najasa off of them? And the answer is yes. If you remember and if you're able to, remove Najasa from your body. What is Najasa? It's ritual impurity, things you cannot pray with them on you. Blood, defecation, urine of, with the exception of animals that are halal to eat, like cow, chicken, bird, right? Uh, those types of... Um, Animals that we are allowed to eat, their urine and defecation is not najis, but human urine, human defecation, blood, any intoxicant in a liquid form, pus, vomit, acid reflux. These things are what we call najis. Okay, najis. Cannot pray with them. Okay. Can you go to, uh, and how do you wash them off? You wash them off with pure, with, with water, not mixed with anything in it that you have to pour on the, the thing that is najis and the, until the water comes off clean. You don't have to worry about stains or odors. Of course, there can be a blood stain. There's nothing you can do about that. All right, I agree. And what is he? It's a follower mentality. When the world do it, we begin to copy. Yes, thank you. Masitam uh, Sidi, okay, says, agrees. Just because someone did it, we have this follower mentality. Hollywood. That's not a world that we're going to ever compete in. We shouldn't want to. Oh man, we don't we don't have movies. You cannot have a halal movie, I'm telling you. It's very hard. It's going to be very if you are, if you can, if you're going to do it like Ertuğrul, just don't over make the claim of it being Islamic because once you do, people will jump all over you. For the women, for the music, just make this make do it do your thing if you're going to do it. Okay? But how are you going to compete with movies that have all sorts of aura showing the best sound music that they spend hours just playing music. It's not going to be what we Muslims do. Right. But if we're going to compete with it, which yes, there are some Muslims going to try to produce an alternative when I, I recognize it a hundred percent, but you are just going to do your thing and it will be less harmful and maybe bend the borders of the Sharia a little bit. That's what they're going to do. I'm not saying they may do that lawfully, legally, but they will do that, like Eritreal. And it had a great success in the world that we live in today. <sighs> Jay Perez says the hadith of riba and zina being weak or not true at all. I have to look into it to be honest with you. Allah knows best. I often read my daily Quran during the first hour of online meetings with my team. 
technically we're not allowed to do that technically if we're hired from nine to five we got to give work from nine to five but if it's acceptable you know for you to take the break whenever breaks whenever you want then you may do that alif alima muslimin muslim or is saying can you explain the shafi opinion on how touching your spouse or those you're not related to breaks would do that is the shafi opinion the verse in the quran he interpreted it as any touching of women that are not that any touching of women your wife or any opposite gender i think the exception is that you the women you're not allowed to marry such as your mom your daughter your aunt your grandma any woman that you could have permitted to have sexual attraction to or that you could potentially marry someday or you could legally marry even if it's far-fetched right uh that's called non-mahram then your wudu is broken that's their opinion okay is the maulid a bid'ah no it is not a bid'ah as we said earlier celebrating things in islam is, is lawful the question is what you're celebrating and how you're celebrating not a single jurist in all of islamic history ever said that it is unlawful to have a celebration. The only question is, what are you celebrating and how are you celebrating it? Can I celebrate a high school graduation? Of course I can. Can I celebrate a Quran recitation? Like for someone memorized the whole Quran or, or completed the recitation of the whole Quran, can I have a celebration for that? Of course I can. Who said I can't? But how do I do it? Am I going to do it with excess? $10,000 worth of, of food? Only for rich people, no poor people invited. All these are problems. Mixed gatherings, music, all these are problems, right? But a celebration, which with no overspending, no mixing, no making people feel bad. You know, my problem with birthdays is that it's sort of, you make people feel, oh, you're burdened. I got to go now buy gifts. What if he doesn't have money? What if he doesn't have money? Not all the friends can afford $100 every time someone has a birthday. Please, stop being born, right? Every time, 100 bucks, 100 bucks for this. So you got 20 friends in a class, and everyone has a birthday. And we all now have birthday parties. Now I'm going to get up to 20, 100 bucks for you, 100 bucks for you, 100 bucks for you, 100 bucks for you. There may be families that that's easy. $20,000 a year is nothing, right? But some people, they cannot do it. But you're putting them in a tough situation now. So this expectation should be dropped, okay? Should be dropped. It's haraj. We in Sharia have a concept of making people in a hardship. Making people feel a hardship, okay? Go to a wedding now. We have a custom now that you have to bring a gift. That's not from Islam. You may bring a gift if you want, but it should not be a custom that everyone's got to come now with a gift. Okay, so now a person has a birthday. I got to spend 100 bucks. A person gets married. I got to spend a hundred bucks. Okay, this is not a hundred dollar meal that I'm getting, right? I got to spend a hundred bucks for this person. Hundred bucks for this person. This this culture of almost necessary gift giving. Oh, we can't go with our hands empty, right? How many people say this? Oh, you can't go with our hands empty. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because there are poor people in the community. They should be part of the community. They should not feel this is too expensive of a friend group. You say to your husband, hey, husband, get, get some different friends. Could you get some modest friends? We can't do this, some people. It's a hardship. 
Okay. And they're coming in with fancy suits. Some people have one suit. Right? He's got one suit. The guy's got one suit. The woman's got one outfit. So this this is called haraj. And we have this culture should not be like this, right? It The wedding's got to tone it down. Birthdays, you just do that stuff with your family, right? Just do that stuff with your family. You want to have a social gathering with your... Oh, I want her... She wants to invite her friends. Invite her friends for just as an invitation. That's a sunnah. I'm inviting you to do what? Nothing. Just come and eat and we'll enjoy yourselves. And and have each other's companion. You know, be friends. Make friends. That's fine. But now to have it in such a way where there's an expectation now. Right? And then, oh, okay. So I invited her. Now I got to invite her. And then, and then this is an item. These two people are a couple. You can't invite one without the other. All that stuff. Sharia tries to wash it away to make social life easier. Iblis tries to make social life harder. I hope that makes sense to everybody. Celebrating things is always lawful. If the thing is lawful that's being celebrated and the method of celebration is lawful and it may be even rewarded. Celebrating the completion of the Quran by inviting the poor and everybody else and giving them food. That's wonderful. You get rewarded for that. The, the celebration itself is not rewardable, but the way in which you do it, you get rewarded for the charity. Okay? Is there anything greater than the Prophet said? We wouldn't even have this religion to talk about if it wasn't for the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? That's exactly how we do things. Sent you a post from Saudi News. Uh, it's a statement from a Sudais, basically, where he says, celebrating National Day as uh, an embodiment of like patriotism. Mm-hmm. Like just to like summarize, it was in Arabic, but and he was saying it's like a religious or it's a it's a duty and a demand for us to celebrate the, the day of uh, uh, you know Saudi independence yeah. or whatever. Saudi independence is rec- a, a duty, a duty to celebrate the country, celebrate the land, rally everybody up. Says Sudais, it's a duty. But what about celebrating being a Muslim? Celebrating that the Prophet is your messenger. All right. So that's the answer to that. We got to go, unfortunately. Is it mandatory to hijab on for dhikr if I'm all alone? No. It's better if you want to worship Allah to have a hijab on, but it's not necessary if you're all alone. Do fiqh interpretations change over time? They change if the situation has changed. Okay. Man, a lot of good questions here. I wish I could take them all. What's the appropriate length of a Jummah khutbah? Yeah, 10, 15 minutes. What is a sunnah? The best way to do tasbih with your hands. If it's the 33 after salah, then you can use your these things in your hand, these separated parts of your hand. Is how the Prophet did it. Is it acceptable to look at the act of killing and blood splatter depicted in films and games? It shouldn't be unlawful. No, I don't think it's unlawful. Okay. Dua of uh, Isal al-Thawab for the deceased. If you want to benefit the deceased, what are the parameters of that? The deceased must have died as a Muslim. 
and you can do any recitation of Quran or give charity or supplication and pray that the reward of that, and you ask, you say, I have intended the reward of this to go to the dead such and such a person. That's acceptable. Okay. Uh, Hamza, I had mentioned, we answered already about reading a part of Dala'ilul Khairat. We answered that once or twice before. Find an amount of time that can be very little, okay, that you will never miss, and then recite that. Ladies and gentlemen, wonderful job bringing really useful questions to the stream. Jazakallah khair to Omar Abbasi behind the desk. And with that, we will see you all tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu aminu salihat wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Oh, baby.